All right, friend, welcome to the final week of 2021. Should old acquaintance be forgotten and never brought to mind? Well, you have at least the new year to look forward to, but we're not there yet. So let's reflect one last time on the month that was through your eyes, through your December 2021 Rule Breaker Investing mailbag. Yep. We're going to help a young couple think through their IRA. We are going to fix Candyland. Yep, that Candyland in this mailbag. We are going to give you something to root for if you need it. We're going to let you know how through your own actions you can avoid a human habit that is more dangerous than secondhand smoke. We're going to play a new tune and we will move you and inspire you with stories and sentiments of your fellow fools here at the end of the year. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you with me this week. My producer, Rick Engdahl, and I wish you the happiest of New Year's. And yes, this particular episode was pre-recorded. In fact, we did this last week. Well, it was last Monday, Monday, December 20th. Uh, we did that so that we would have approximately 10 days or so to take off ourselves with the holidays through Christmas into the new year. So happy holidays to all and especially best wishes for your imminent new year. So how do we spend December on this podcast? Well, the first week, in fact, it was the first day of December. It was my annual Games, Games, Games podcast to get you in mind for some holiday gifts in the form of, well, taking the form of one of my favorite things in this world, which would be a board game or a card game. Got a lot of great feedback, more game suggestions than I can possibly share back out through this mailbag. But one thing is clear to me, a lot of you enjoy games. We probably over-index toward gamers and gamer mindsets when you think about the Rule Breaker Investing podcast and our foolish audience. So delighted to hear good things back from you about that. A week later, it was Gratitude 2021. We make an annual practice of that on this podcast, the second week of December. Traditionally, we did it again this year, and I learned a lot more about your gratitude this month. In fact, it runs as a minor theme through some of our mailbag entries this week, and appropriately so. Then it was our besties, 2021. Yep, two hours plus, the longest podcast we may ever do. I mean, it is appropriate. It is our annual award and festivities night. I think of it as a night, even though we recorded it in the afternoon. But yeah, it was a delight to look back on 10 of the best podcasts I think we all shared this year. But nobody should start thinking, I'll be doing two-hour podcasts anytime soon again. And then last week, of course, the epic rematch market cap game show, Brian versus Brian. So that was the month that has been. And let me first go to some Twitter hot takes before hitting our mailbag this month. Speaking of games, couple of notes in about that. I'm going to read at Finney6621538. You know, there probably was an at Finney6621538. Got there first. So you got the nine. Well done, Finney. Thank you, David. You're right. I just bought Pandemic and Codenames thanks to your recommendation from a few years ago that I just heard recently. I've been binging the RBI podcast. Well, Finney, it is certainly true that games I loved three or two or one years ago, probably I like just as much today, if not more. I've played a lot of code names since then, for example. So yes, I do think my games, games, games podcasts of every year will give you 
well more than the 10 or so you'll get in any given year. So delighted to know those back catalog games podcasts are still of just as much value today. At other Mike Steele, my friend Mike Steele wrote in, I always look forward to the annual board games episode and finally caught up today. Mike writes, my favorite game this year is Cartographers. He gives the Board Game Geek average rating of 7.18, a weight of 1.89, which means a lighter game, best for three to four players. Thank you for specifying those, Mike. Mike goes on, very original game mechanics. Maybe it'll make your roundup next year. Well, I'm not sure whether it will next year, Mike, because typically my roundups look at games released in the last year or so, but I want you to know I enjoy Cartographers a lot. It's a roll-and-write game, which basically means that each player, each of the participants, is given a piece of paper and a pencil, and you're filling out kind of a score sheet as you play the game, which means it's very good for larger gatherings of people. As long as everybody's willing to learn some geeky rules for about 15 minutes for cartographers, you can play a game like that with all ages. And so roll and write games are very large group friendly during the holidays. And cartographers, especially for people who like a little bit of a fantasy theme, although ultimately driven by car-driven mechanics that have you drawing patterns across your score sheet. Certainly a very worthy game. We literally just played it last night in my household. All right, speaking of the besties at YBMSCR on Twitter, holy cow, do I see north of two hours? And you know how sometimes when you copy and paste an emoji, but it's expressed as a text description of the emoji, not the emoji itself? The emoji that YBMSCR included was and I quote, smiling face with open mouth and cold sweat, <laughs> end quote. Now, I'm not sure whether that was you, YBMSCR, or my producer, Rick, who had to produce a show all by his lonesome of more than two hours duration. But I'm happy to say, I think a lot of people enjoyed that show. Jason Moore at Jiminy Jillikers, such a great list of highlights from the past year on at RBI Podcast this week. Jason wrote of Besties 2021. I don't want to spoil it for you, but the cameo list was incredible. Thank you, David and Rick, for an amazing year of content and foolishness. Yes, anytime you can get world-class authors like Morgan Housel and Jim Sirwicky interspersed with NFL head coaches and then a lot of our favorite fool personalities besides, yeah, that is that was a pretty incredible cameo guest list. I said sometime sheepishly, I wondered aloud at some point during the Besties, was the Besties show itself the Bestie of the year. Well, we'll let history decide. Another hot take, a particularly hot take from at Skins fan Mike. Mike G. Loved the Besties podcast. You wrote, when Shirzad Shamin quoted Gandhi, I got all excited for David to have a teaching moment and correct a guess. Alas, it passed without comment. Longtime listeners will know that one of my pet peeves is when Gandhi is ascribed this famous quotation. Be the change you want to see in the world. And the reason that it's a pet peeve of mine is not because it's not a great sentiment. It is. The reason it's a pet peeve of mine is because, as best I can tell, Gandhi never actually said that. And as I've often pointed out, you'll see him quoted in TED Talks. He's there on bumper stickers. It's a great line. But as best I can tell, and if I'm wrong about this, please somebody send me the link Gandhi never said, be the change you want to see in the world. So there you have one of my recent heroes, Shirzad Shamin, making his cameo on the podcast. And right there in front of me, he's quoting Gandhi with that line. And I feel like I may have failed you, Skins fan, Mike, by not jumping in and letting Shirzad know that 
to the best of my knowledge, Gandhi never actually said that. But I think there's a right time and a wrong time to say certain things. So I was trying to show discretion. It wasn't germane to his overall point. I think I would have interrupted his flow. I'm happy to say I got a note from my friend Sina Hasuna, a very frequent Motley Fool correspondent, a regular on Motley Fool Live among our audience and on Twitter. And Sina dropped me a note on the exact same point. He said, thanks for the great besties this year. It was worth it, the full two hours, Smiley. And a little congrats to you for keeping... He didn't actually say that as an inside thought. I may not have been as successful, Cena said with a smile. Full on happy holidays for a wonderful 2022. So yeah, should I or shouldn't divide? You be the judge. Thanks, Skins fan Mike. And finally, a bunch of tweets this week about Frank Reich's appearance and the Indianapolis Colts and their performance. We have at least one pretty great mailbag item about it coming up, but a number of sentiments at Pop Spiffy. I've become a big Frank Reich fan ever since hearing that podcast. I can still hear Frank saying to himself, don't sell NVIDIA, Frank. Don't sell NVIDIA. Every time at Pop Spiffy says that I think of selling a big winner, I think about that. Great learning. Thanks so much. At Invest and S, Invest and Surf on Twitter wrote, pretty cool to hear Frank Reich rattling off multiple disruptors like Twilio, Okta, and more. He's so committed and focused. And finally, football fans will know that just days after Frank made his cameo on this podcast, the Indianapolis Colts took on the league leader, the New England Patriots, coached by Bill Belichick, the Hall of Fame-to-be coach. And amazingly, the Colts took a 20 to nothing lead and cruised to a 27-17 Victory and my friend Yasser El Shami at TMF Prof wrote, even as a Patriots fan, I found myself cheering for Frank. Terrific at RBI Podcast episode. Well, a reminder, we are at RBI Podcast on Twitter. If you ever want to follow me, I'm at David G. Fool. Thank you for those hot takes and many more. All right, rule breaker mailbag item number one. This one comes from Jeremy Nichols. Jeremy, I mentioned earlier that Shirzad Shamin is one of my recent heroes. You are also one of my recent heroes. Thank you for this note about Candyland. David, I heard your panning of Candyland in your games podcast this week, and I too find that conventional rules lead to a dull experience. I played many a game of Candyland with my kids when they were young and did find a way to add choice and therefore a sense of engagement and anticipation to the game. All you need to do to fix Candyland's pure determinism is to have a dealer who offers each person a fan of the top three cards from the pile on their turn. The player then selects one from the three and plays it. The dealer then buries the other two cards and play continues by allowing each player to select one of three cards. There is a decision for each turn and your outcome will be the result of your and the other selections rather than the starting order of the cards. It's still not a great game, Jeremy concludes, but I have found this does make it tolerable. Best regards, Jeremy Nichols. Just to clarify, it's clear to me Jeremy intends those cards when you fan them out to be face up. In other words, you're presenting the probably four-year-old in your life 
with three face-up cards. Maybe they'll see two blue boxes on one, a yellow box on another, and a pink box on another. And they'll choose which of the three cards that they, with agency, exercising their gray matter, they'll choose which of the cards they want to take, and then they will move their player piece forward to the appropriate spot. And so, yes, Jeremy, you've solved this for me. I don't think I'll be playing this game until I have grandchildren, and even then, I'm not sure I'll buy the game. You've solved this for me and many others who will be playing Candyland for whatever reason in the year ahead. It plays just the same. The rules really don't change other than there is a single element of interest added, and that would be choice. And certainly anybody who's aware of the war that has been raging on this podcast for a couple of years about the game Candyland, you will now recognize that the greatest weakness of the game, which is that there is literally no player choice. You draw your card and you move your piece where you're told. And I've always said, that's not a great lesson to kids, that what they care, think about, or do doesn't matter. You just follow instructions. I realize some people just learn Candyland in order to learn their colors and learn how to move pieces because we're about three years old playing this game. But you have added agency, and that makes the world a better place. Thank you, Jeremy Candyman Nichols. All right, Rule Breaker Mailbag, item number two. Hi, David and RBI team. Thank you for all you do each and every week. Listening to your podcast with my fiance has her interested in investing. As part of our premarital counseling program, we are having deep financial discussions about how we plan to handle our money once we combine finances. I'm a new Rule Breaker member and I'm loving the service. We plan to both max out our Roth IRAs when we are married. My question is, would it be reasonable to invest one of our IRAs in index funds and the other in rule breaker stock picks? We love the peace of mind of index funds, but also love even more the upside of higher rate of returns that rule breakers has shown to be possible since the inception of service. Thanks again for all you do and for considering our question full on Ryan Dyke. Well, first of all, Ryan and fiance, congratulations to you both. And I think it's so good that you're going through premarital counseling and talking about finances. That should almost be mandatory. I'm not somebody to ask for regulation here, but I think self-imposed regulation, I think any of us who are thinking about hitching our wagon to another star, traveling together, we hope for the rest of our lives, I think it really is so helpful to talk out money. Many people come from different places in terms of how they think about money. Is it for good or for ill? Do we want more of it? Or are we trying to give it all away or both? There are all kinds of questions about our habits, how we spend in particular, how transparent we are. Do we keep it separate or do we do it together? All of these things, there's no single answer. There's no right or wrong here. One of my favorite words in the English language is context. We really need to know somebody else's context and for them to know our context. And ultimately, as we unite, we're creating a new context. And to have alignment and understanding there is so valuable. So congratulations, Ryan and fiance. Just a couple quick thoughts for you here. First of all, I think it's great that you're planning to both max out your Roth IRAs. And of course, you're getting Roth IRAs because you're younger and you recognize when you pay taxes up front and then let the money compound over time, that's going to equal a bigger number the earlier you start. So I think that's a great move. And of course, maxing out is wonderful. I hope either or both of you are employed in a workplace where you're being matched in some way, shape, or form for you maxing out your IRA, your retirement plans. That would be a beautiful thing as well. And then in terms of the allocation, 
I love that you love index funds and recognize that they are a simpler approach that we can take. And from our earliest days of the fool, we've written in support of index funds, even though we champion owning individual stocks, because we have to know context. For a lot of the world, they don't understand or have that much interest in the stock market. And so for them, the index fund has always been a better answer than the many managed mutual funds out there that overtrade, that overcharge you, and deliver subpar returns over time. That's why Jack Bogle, Vanguard, and index funds have ruled the roost as a mainstream answer. So I like that. And yes, you're right. An index fund is going to be far less volatile, even though it will still be volatile, far less volatile than our rule breaker stocks are over time. So my thought is this. First off, you don't have to make this decision forever, right? You just are thinking about the year ahead. And I think it's perfectly fair, if you like, to start 50-50. By that, I mean, why not allocate half of your money toward a good index fund and the other half to some rule breaker stocks? That allows you to see how you're doing with both and how it felt with both, being evenly allocated, fair starting line in those accounts for both. It also means, I think, that both you and your fiance should go 50-50. I don't think one of you should be the rule breaker and the other should be the index fund person. I think it's really nice to each go 50-50. Now, where some variance sets in is maybe what kinds of stocks would you put or your fiance put in your respective accounts. But I don't think one of you should be the rule breaker and the other should be the index fund person. I think you should kind of split it 50-50. Now, after a year, whatever the market has done, don't judge too harshly or take too much credit for bad or good results. Instead, you should just keep going forward in year two and year three. But if you find yourself more inspired to do one than the other, then you could always start allocating more, let's say 60% toward one of those two categories and 40% to the other. And you could allow that to expand or contract kind of like an accordion over time. I think the math will show that if you truly have the long-term mentality and the fortitude to keep your money invested, I would expect the rule breaker stocks to outperform the index fund. That's kind of what I've been trying to demonstrate to the world for the better part of three decades now. So that's where I would be betting my money if I were a betting person, but we're not betting here. This is your future nest egg. And some people really do value less volatility in their nest egg performance. So I hope I've given you some things to think about. If you have a good plan administrator, you could probably talk it out with them in your workplace. But if not, I think The Motley Fool provides many wonderful resources at fool.com for how to think about your Roth IRA. You asked me a rule breaker question, so I tried to give you a rule breaker answer. Ultimately, I think you should feel really comfortable with whatever you've chosen, and I think you should do it as a partnership. Assuming this marriage may be imminent in the year 2022, congratulations ahead of time and fool on. All right, rule breaker mailbag item number three. This is from Elisa Greenberg writing in for the first time. Hello, Elisa. Hi, David. I just finished last week's podcast on gratitude, and I wanted to write in and thank you for all the great information and stories you provide every week. I am a longtime listener. This is my first time writing in. I've been a fan of The Motley Fool for a long time. I first read The Motley Fool Investment Guide for teens when I was a junior in high school, and now at 35, I am a member of Stock Advisor. I wanted to touch on your comment about complaining versus gratitude. I recently read about a study that chronic complaining rewires our brains for negativity and leads to poor health outcomes such as high cholesterol, 
diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Chronic complaining is considered as bad as secondhand smoke. And Elisa includes a link to that article, but anybody who's interested here can just Google the phrase, how complaining rewires your brain for negativity, and you will quickly see references to that article. Picking it up right there. So while gratitude is a great daily practice, Elisa writes, it also has excellent health benefits such as better physical health, psychological health, increased empathy, better sleep, and self-esteem. Again, she includes this time from Psychology Today, a link to an article entitled, What Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I appreciate you speaking about gratitude because I don't think it's mentioned enough, especially as it has wonderful health outcomes associated with it. And as we all know, when we practice mindfulness, we're better able to make important decisions, such as not panic selling when the market tumbles. I wanted to thank you again for being a great mentor and bringing awareness to the benefits of this mindful practice. Gratitude. Happy holidays. Warmly, Elisa Greenberg. Well, first of all, Lisa, it's always delightful to hear from somebody who's a longtime listener, first time calling in. We used to say on the radio show, or of course, first time writing in. Thank you for corresponding. And I really appreciate the points that you're making. These aren't just better approaches to investing or life, though they are. With Henry Ford, well, he was reputed to say this anyway, whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, you're right. I've always loved that line, whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, you're right. I think that that leads to better outcomes in many ways in investing business and life, but you're in particular here pointing out to the health outcomes and the great difference between complaining versus gratitude. And really, when you think about Shirzad Shamin's work, he's coaching us whenever we have that negative thought, whenever we want to complain for ourselves or somebody else, he often teaches us through his books and his work to replace that thought with something better. Look for a place of gratitude. Comment positively on something rather than complain. Not only does it uplift other people and I think the outcomes of your actions, but you're pointing out here with a double underline, Elisa, that it's going to help your own health as well. Wow. Complaining is considered as bad as secondhand smoke. Duly noted. All right, rule breaker mailbag item number four. I think this one really speaks for itself. Let's start. Dear David, I am a stock advisor and rule breaker subscriber and am an avid listener of the Market Foolery, Motley Fool Money, and Rule Breaker Investing Podcasts. In fact, you launched the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast at just the time in my life when I decided to take control of my personal investing. So I've been listening to that one from the beginning. Well, we launched in July of 2015, Dylan Lawrence. So thank you very much for listening from the beginning. Dylan writes, this is the first time I have felt compelled to write to you. I grew up in Houston, Texas as an avid Houston Oilers fan. As such, the name Frank Reich has always been burned in my memory and not in a good way as a result of the infamous comeback game in 1993. Now, I'm going to pause it for a second. Just I'm not going to recount exactly what happened, but I will simply say for those who don't know or remember this, the greatest comeback in the history of American professional football was one playoff weekend in 1993. In fact, it was January 3rd of 1993 when the Buffalo Bills 
down 32 points shortly after halftime, went on to win in overtime 41-38. And that is known, that has achieved proper noun status. In Wikipedia, it is listed in quotes as the comeback. So it's popularly known as the greatest comeback in NFL history. Now, anybody who's a Frank Reich fan knows now that my guest earlier this month and earlier this year on the podcast was the quarterback behind the comeback. Okay, I just wanted to provide that context in case it was missing for anybody listening as we pick back up with Dylan's note. I still remember exactly where I was and what I was doing on that day. To be clear, I have certainly never held any personal animosity toward Mr. Reich. On that day, he was simply doing his job, and clearly, he did it very well. But still, while to the average American today, the name Frank Reich likely registers only as a current NFL head coach or as an answer to a trivia question about comebacks, that name has haunted me for the better part of the past 28 years. For some context, I will note, Dylan Lawrence writes that I am a 46-year-old man. I have been married for 19 years and have two wonderful children. I am a moderately successful attorney who I would like to think is well on his way towards financial independence. By any objective measure, I have a lot to be thankful for. And I do not even live in Houston anymore, having moved to Boise, Idaho several years ago. Yet, the events of January 3rd, 1993 still distract my thoughts during the day and cause me terrors at night. For these reasons, I actively avoided listening to your Two Fools podcast with Mr. Reich this past July. I knew that the comeback game would be a source of much discussion, and I simply did not want to listen to it. I had not thought about it until listening to your Besties 2021 episode. I was listening to that one in my car while driving, and I was not in a good position to fast forward through the interview with Mr. Reich, so I was forced to listen to it against my will. I am now very thankful for that. During the Besties interview, Mr. Reich struck me as a kindred spirit. I also very much enjoy hearing about people's investing origin stories, i.e. how they got into investing and what their style of investing is. I also find it so interesting that a relatively high-profile person like Mr. Reich is investing foolishly along with the rest of us. Objectively, I could no longer justify my avoidance of the Two Fools podcast with Mr. Reich. So I listened to it, and I'm glad I did. Your interview with Mr. Reich was one of the most valuable 90-minute periods of time I've experienced in recent memory. He is clearly thoughtful, gracious, and humble. While I'm not always successful at it myself, these are attributes that I very much admire and try to achieve and that I seek out in others. Now, I'm not going to lie, Dylan continues, when the topic of the comeback came up during the Two Fools interview, my finger instinctively and without my conscious control started to seek out the fast-forward button on my wonderfully beautiful, effective, and reliable Apple device. I am an Apple shareholder after all, Dylan writes. I believe this was a self-preservation reflex. However, my logical mind overcame that reflex, and I listened to the entire interview, including the portion about the comeback. And I am so glad I did. I was particularly struck by how quickly Mr. Reich reminded us all that only a few weeks after the comeback, 
he tied the Super Bowl record for fumbles in the Bills' loss to the Dallas Cowboys after having to again fill in for an injured Jim Kelly. While the events of January 3rd, 1993 are forever etched in my memory, I had completely forgotten the details of the subsequent Super Bowl. The fact that Mr. Reich voluntarily and intentionally brings up his performance in the Super Bowl in order to emphasize the importance of humility and perspective speaks volumes about his character. The comeback game was traumatic enough in and of itself, but I also believe it was a contributing factor to the Oilers eventually leaving Houston to become the Tennessee Titans. Since that time, I have only had a casual interest in the NFL because I no longer have a dog in the fight, i.e. a team to root for. I have no connections to Tennessee and still feel somewhat jilted, so I cannot root for the Titans. While Houston now has the Texans, it's just not the same. I grew up rooting for the Oilers, not the Texans. After having listened to your interview with Mr. Reich, I have decided that I will be rooting for the Indianapolis Colts. I actually feel like I have a dog in the fight again. Thank you for that, Dylan Lawrence. Well, thank you for your note, Dylan Lawrence. I'm sure Frank's going to get a chance to hear or see it at some point. But in the meantime, all of us enjoyed. That was a good solid page and a half of you recounting part of your painful past, but you you redeemed yourself. You've been redeemed at the end. It was a it was a comeback story of your own when you really think about it. You've come back to, well, a good part of American culture. That would be the NFL this time of year. You've come back to finding something to cheer for. That's something we all need to have a dog in the fight. I think part of being an investor is having skin in the game, having dogs in the fight. The more we can actually care about what's happening around us, I think the more and meshed and integrated we will feel in the lives of those around us. Now, a lot of people hearing me right now might be a little tired of American football. It certainly has been somewhat of a theme here for Rule Breaker Investing in 2021. I'm not sure I talked too much about football in years before. We might have talked baseball more frequently, but for obvious reasons, it was a special year for this podcast, and I really love that as kind of a capping note, thinking about the Indianapolis Colts, and Frank Reich. And like you, Dylan, they're my favorite team right now. And I'm excited to see the potential postseason and what happens going forward for this team. I do want to mention as well that there is a remarkable television show on HBO Max. I referenced this lightly when I talked to Frank a couple of weeks ago called Hard Knocks. Now, sports fans or HBO subscribers will know, but many won't, that this is a regular series that's occurred over the years, and it goes behind the scenes with one NFL team. And this year, it's the Indianapolis Colts. So you have an opportunity, if you want to see more of Frank, actually see Frank, see some of the players, some of the well-known players, and some of the lesser-known players, see some of their backstories. Hard Knocks is really outstanding, and this year, for the first time, It's happening during the season. All past episodes of Hard Knocks were done during training camp in the preseason, but this year it's right in season as you watch the game. You can kind of see the reality TV show of the -the behind-the-scenes Colts just days after each game. I have found it really enjoyable. I think it's so well done by NFL Films, which usually does just a great job with its sports. So a hardcore hard sell from me 
for hard knocks for anybody who finds themselves more interested in this. If you're a football fan, you probably already know about it. You're probably already watching it. But if you're more of a Frank Reich fan now, not as much an American football fan, but have access to HBO Max, take a look at that first episode and tell me in next month's mailbag what you think. Anyway, go Colts. All right, mailbag item number five. This one definitely comes from abroad. Well, I'm going to say, since it's from Jan and Lenka and their last name is spelled S-O-J-K-A-W-A-R-E, which I'm not going to try to pronounce. Normally, I'm brave, but in this case, I just like calling you Jan and Lenka. I'm pretty sure you're writing from somewhere else. But really, wherever this was written from, this is kind of a timelessly great note. It makes me think of O. Henry and his fantastic short story that many of us will have read, The Gift of the Magi, as you think about a young couple. So here we go, Jan and Lenka. Dear David, this is from Jan. I have to share an interesting story with you. Advent time was approaching, and on November 28th, I saw my girlfriend locked in the living room doing something with paper and a Jan writes, a hot melt gun. I think you mean a a glue gun. So she's well ahead of time. He says, preparing a Christmas present for me, I thought. And then she came to me, turned off the light, put something on the table, and lit a candle. I was very surprised. This is your advent calendar, she said. There were 12 compartments made of toilet paper rolls cut in half and covered with red and green paper. I immediately recognized the link to the funny Motley Fool caps. Yes, that's exactly what it was. I was so happy. Let me pause there and interpret this with the best idiomatic English that, I, that I'm hearing or seeing here. I, I feel as if Lenka has created an advent calendar in the shape of a fool cap, and you have maybe the tubes that have been cut down, covered in red and green paper, com- creating compartments, and it's all in the shape of a jester cap. So, that's how I'm hearing and seeing this. You can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, Jan, but let me let me continue on here. He said, I listen to Motley Fool podcasts regularly, usually while washing dishes. My girlfriend knows this and soon recognized my passion for investing. Sometimes I tell her about interesting ideas that I hear about people, or motivation, problem solving, building companies, and markets. I'm so grateful for what you're doing without the Motley Fool I wouldn't have the courage to start investing and perhaps, more importantly, to start learning. I started looking at things from different angles with more perspective, and I practiced reasoning, and this is exactly what helps me overcome difficult times mentally. I make mistakes sometimes, but even after the recent sell-off in growth stocks, I'm significantly up. I really like my Motley Fool Advent Calendar. I open one of the compartments every day and have fun exploring what's inside. Sometimes it's a biscuit. Sometimes it's a funny thing related to the day. And sometimes it's a quest. We wish you and all members of The Motley Fool a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Sincerely, Jan and Lenka. Well, in addition to saying that your note is vaguely elusive to me to that O. Henry Short story, The Gift of the Magi, which you might enjoy together if you've never read that one. I do want to say I'm also reminded of another great book, A Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, a book a lot of Americans have read, I think. And one of the things that Peck says in that book, it's a wonderful book, he reminds us that love can often be thought of as work, you know, action. 
I, I guess I would say here in contrast to words. Now, I'm a words guy, so I certainly acknowledge that love can live in words and love poetry or love short stories. It can be very implicit in that in a lovely card and something beautiful written into a card certainly counts. But when I compare sentiments in a card to somebody making a tailored advent calendar for you, when you think about the work and the love implicit in that act, I'm reminded with M. Scott Peck that love is often work. And I would say, based on what I've heard so far, Jan, Lenka is a keeper. And all fools everywhere. I think we'd love to see a, a picture, if you ever want to take a picture of that advent calendar, post it up either to us or on the social media somewhere. It'd be lovely to see. But that was a private gift. I'm not expecting that. I just want to say, that just sounds lovely. And we're honored here at The Fool for you to have shared that story. Fooled on, my friends. All right, on to Rule Breaker Mailbag item number six. This from Barry Rugo, writing in from Ipswich, Massachusetts. Thank you, Barry. David, there's no doubt you'd concur that The Motley Fool's principal investing mantra is to invest in the markets and, importantly, to invest for the long term. For the average person, no other wealth-generating vehicle comes close. This would appear, however, to stand in marked contrast to the advice of Dallas Mavericks owner and successful billionaire investor, Mark Cuban, which appeared recently in an article on the investment finance website, MSN Money Central. It was entitled, 20 Genius Things Mark Cuban Says to Do with Your Money. Genius thing number three, Barry writes, is, quote, put it in the bank, end quote. Cuban takes, shall we say, a rather dim view of the stock market. Barry quoting here again from the article, quote, the idiots that tell you to put your money in the market because eventually it will go up need to tell you that because they are trying to sell you something. The stock market is probably the worst investment vehicle out there. If you won't put your money in the bank, never put your money in something where you don't have an information advantage. Why invest your money in something because a broker told you to? If the broker had a clue, he, she wouldn't be a broker. They would be on a beach somewhere, end quote. Our correspondent, Barry Rugo, continues strong words from someone who seems to have missed the fact that over the last 100 years, the stock market has returned 23,000x, or that in every 10-year period during those 100 years, the rate of positive stock market returns has been 96.5%, and in every 20 and 30-year period, that positive stock market rate of return has been 100%. That means with that probability, 100% of the time up. Put it in the bank, Barry concludes. Well, the average one-year CD rate is currently 0.14%. The average bank savings account now pays a pathetic .06%, or roughly one-seventeenth of 1%, hardly fortifying your finances against the worst inflation in 40 years. Given that Mark Cuban is so universally revered for his financial savvy and also remembering that he was a guest on Fool Fest 2020, ostensibly for his unique market perspectives and insight, how did the Motley Fool's opinions of the public markets square with his? Barry R. Ipswich, Massachusetts. Well, first of all, I remember Mark Cuban doing that interview with my brother Tom. It was for Fool Fest for our members a year and a half ago. I really enjoyed it. And I don't remember Mark saying much 
to that effect in front of Tom or our membership base. In fact, I'm happy to tell you that Mark Cuban was poking around Fool.com decades ago. He has once posted to our discussion boards back when he, I think when he was the CEO of Broadcast.com, a company that, as I recall, he sold to Yahoo, and that really started his fortune in the 1990s. I think Mark Cuban is bright, for one thing. I think he's a really smart guy, worth listening to a lot of the time. He is an outspoken person. He's kind of a gadfly. He's a media magnet. He's a little bit of a troll, I think mostly in a good way, although I don't think these thoughts are great. One thing I've learned in life is don't feed the trolls. So I don't think I'm going to speak too much to what Mark wrote. Assuming he wrote that, Barry, I'm sure you were quoting the article. Well, I'm not seeing the article myself. I think the numbers are fairly obvious. The stock market's average annualized gains, 9, 10, or 11% per year. That's over decades and decades. I think there are very logical reasons why any meaningful time period, if you look at the stock market, the U.S. stock market, but many others around the world. It starts somewhere in the lower left years ago and moves toward today's upper right, far higher. There are very logical reasons for those things to take place. In particular, it's because the stock market, if you're doing it right, you're becoming a part owner of some of the best companies of our time. And the stock market is the miracle that allows you as a citizen, as a member of the general public, to take ownership, private ownership, of bits and pieces of the best companies with the best products and services. There are very logical reasons why that grows in value over time. There are very logical reasons why Amazon.com has gone up over the last 30 years and so many other stocks besides. And by the way, sometimes the stock market goes down. Pretty sure Mark knows this. And sometimes the stock you own may not be a good one. Some stocks do go to zero. Not every private enterprise works out. That's part of the risk of the game. But when you take the market as a whole, whether you're listening to Jack Bogle, Warren Buffett, whether you're a student of market history, Jeremy Siegel, the huge weight of evidence is on the side for investing in the stock market. I think part of what Mark may have been saying in that quote is he doesn't like brokers very much. Well, I can understand that. At least the older school broker that I remember, which the Motley Fool came out inveighing against with fury in the 1990s, was previously paid by commissions and whole firms like Merrill Lynch were driven by commission-generating brokers who were trying to get you to jump in and jump out. I feel as if Mark is more of a trader himself. He kind of celebrates jumping in and jumping out, but that's so very different from what we've practiced for 30 years and counting and The Motley Fool teaching many people around the world not to jump in and jump out. We certainly don't think the bank is a better place for your long-term holdings. But of course, if you need the money to spend on something tomorrow or one year from now, if you're saving for a house, we're the first to say, and have said that for decades, that the bank is a great place in those cases. But if we're talking about your growth capital, what you're hoping to retire on, I challenge you to find something more accessible that will do better things with more confidence than following Motley Fool Investing. Am I selling that to you? I guess in some senses, we as a company do that every day, but we're not doing it as an old school broker or whatever Mark Cuban's talking about. Anyway, we'd love to have Mark Cuban back anytime, Fool Fest or Motley Fool Live more likely, maybe in the year ahead. Maybe he can speak to the article. I'm kind of done speaking to the article myself. As I say, I don't spend a lot of time feeding trolls. I think not speaking about Mark Cuban personally, but the lines that you're quoting, that is very trollish. Probably gets the clicks, but doesn't get much more of my attention. 
other than that four-minute response. Thank you, Barry, for sharing that out. All right, Rule Breaker Investing mailbag item number seven. This one hailing from Ontario, Canada. Thank you for writing in, Jason Andrews. Hi, David. Greetings from Ontario. Your recent gratitude podcast motivated me to reach out to quickly share my investing journey with you as it's something I'm incredibly grateful for. And I have The Motley Fool to thank in large part for setting me on a good track. I took an interest in investing in the summer of 2018, right after my birthday, as the cannabis stock bubble was in full swing. I was lured in by the promise of massive short-term profits and perfectly timed swing trades. I set up a brokerage account, began buying most of the big-name cannabis stocks, as well as a few penny stocks the internet told me were going to explode. I want to pause it there and just say that is so many people's experience, I think, especially if you don't have a a friend or a mentor or parents, let's say, who got you interested in the stock market. You start clicking around, don't you? And it's very likely you're going to be clicking on something having to do with penny stocks that could explode from a penny to a dollar, a hundred times your money. If that penny stock would just go up another 99 cents or other speculative vehicles, it's very logical why people would be exposed to that and find that. And it's not uncommon at all. For people to get started that way. In my experience, we're about to return to Jason's note, but in my experience, it's not that sustainable though, because since it doesn't work, smart people start to realize that's not working. There must be a better way. Well, let's continue with Jason's note. He writes, around this time, I stumbled upon The Motley Fool and started learning deeply about your investing principles. I steadily sold out of my ill-conceived investments over the next few months making a small profit completely by blind luck, but taking a greater than 50% loss on most of the penny stocks and started replacing them with Motley Fool favorites, businesses where I took the time to actually understand them. Well, over the ensuing three and a half years, I've dug ever deeper into the investing world, endeavoring to become a perpetually refined investor, as well as learning the many broader life lessons That are often taught through investing in the stock market. I'm also very happy to say that I've had a hand in starting several of my friends down a capital F foolish investing path, a couple of whom listen to the Rule Breaker Investing podcast frequently. Jason writes, Hi, Randy. (laughs) And it really warms my heart to see people I value so deeply taking such powerful steps towards securing their future. This letter isn't about numbers, but I think I'd be remiss not to mention them in passing. I'm thrilled to say that my two brokerage accounts, TFSA and Taxable, respectively, have returned an annualized 46 and 25% compared to the S&P 500's 17% annualized return over the same period. Several of my positions, like the Trade Desk, Etsy, and Match Group, have been solid multi-baggers, while titans like NVIDIA and Canada's own Shopify each are near 1,000% returns for my portfolio. While I certainly don't expect this magnitude of outperformance over the long term, I'm confident, Jason writes, that I'll be able to beat the market going forward in no small part thanks to what I've learned through the Fool's podcasts, free articles, and stock advisor guidance. So what I'm trying to say is this. Thanks, David. From discussing RBI with my parents at dinner, to starting my friends down the investing path, to listening to most of the podcasts The Motley Fool has made over the past few years, I've gained not only value of the financial kind, but also of the much more important kind, memories. 
and experiences of time shared with loved ones and time spent pursuing a hobby I love. And for me, this was the punchline at the end of this note. As I've reached the ripe old age of 22 and am only one day away from finishing college, I've already had several exciting and rewarding years as a foolish investor and much more importantly, as a fool for life. However, I'm just getting warmed up and I look forward to the many decades of living, investing, and living some more that lie ahead of me. Merry Christmas, David, and fool on. Jason. Well, Jason, thank you very much. And it was a pleasure to read that note and kind of make the punchline that you're just 22. Often I'll read a note like that from somebody who might be 32 or 42 or even closer to my age. I'm 55. 52. A lot of us find the stock market, well, we find finance and switch on to the world of of our future and planning for the best future and the best selves we can be. We find that often later in life than the day before we graduate college or the three and a half years before that. So what I particularly love about your note is how young you are. It just makes me happy. It reminds me of that Bernard Shaw quote that I rocked earlier this month, brought out on a past great quotes volume on the podcast as well. I think a lot of you will know it by now, but I'll just say the last part of it again. This from his play, Man and Superman, the quote is, I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It is sort of a splendid torch, which I have a hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it over to future generations. Well, Jason, you are the age of my kids. My kids get this too, but it does give me, as an increasingly old man, it gives me a great sense of hope and confidence when I see people like you pick up the torch and get it. It puts me at peace to know so much of the the work that I and Tom and our whole company for 5, 10, 15, 25, 30 years just about now, we've been trying to put out there, and the more people who grab the more torches And the more torches that are out there grabbed by more and more fools worldwide who get this, I have a great sense of confidence and joy and hope and optimism for the future because of people like you. If we had a hand in helping light that torch for you or handing it to you in some way, I'm delighted to know that. But I encourage you to carry it forward and make it burn as brightly as possible before you do one day hand it over, sir, to future generations yourself. Jason Andrews, his pals who listen in as well, Randy, all the crew, fool on. All right, two more. Actually, we have a sponsor in between them, so let's call it two and a half more points. Rule Breaker Mailbag item number eight. This one comes from our friend, Jum. Jum has corresponded a number of times this year with the podcast, so many of you will remember her as a nurse who's already near or at financial independence at a young age, but keeps serving others through nursing because she loves it. She loves to be of value to others in that way. And she's a big fan, and we're big fans of hers as well. This is a lovely, uplifting note. Hi, David, Rick, and the RBI team. I was on vacation visiting a beach town in Mexico when your Gratitude 2021 episode aired. I listened to it as soon as I got back. It warmed my heart and prompted me to share some of mine. 
First of all, being able to travel again after multiple lockdowns was something I'm grateful for. Apart from relaxing and recharging, visiting new places exposes me to different cultures and worlds outside of my own. Watching merchants roaming up and down the beach under the heat of the sun, selling small trinkets and souvenirs for small change, reminded me of how lucky I am and how much I have. Little things like not having to worry about a place to sleep or how I'm going to feed my family at the end of the day can be so easily taken for granted, but they are such big things to be grateful for. Well, During my vacation, I also had a chance to finish a couple of great books, Shirzad Shamin's Positive Intelligence and James Clear's Atomic Habits. I learned so much from these books and other books over the years. To write a good paragraph is not easy, let alone a book. Therefore, John writes, my special gratitude goes to all the authors of books out there. Thank you for sharing the research, thoughts, wisdom, and stories for all of us to read and learn from. I also recently read another book, Love Your Enemies by Arthur C. Brooks, a great recommendation from a fellow fool, Jason Moore, through Twitter. I filed that book under a book that the world needs right now. That would be borrowing a phrase from your five-stock sampler of the same name. A wonderful book full of positivity. Highly recommended. Speaking of Twitter, this may sound strange, but I am also very grateful for social media platforms. Social media gets a pretty bad reputation these days, and I can certainly see why. They are far from perfect. They're just platforms or tools. It's still our responsibility to use social media in ways that will do good. Twitter allows me to connect with you and many other admirable people to learn and share great ideas. Facebook or Meta lets me stay in touch with friends and families who live thousands of miles away. It reconnected me with my friends from elementary school whom I otherwise would have lost touch with. We at the hospital have successfully found someone's next of kin through social media platforms. One of the best features I've used on Facebook is fundraising. I took advantage of a network effect. I've raised larger funds for many charitable organizations as a consequence. Although I can see their flaws and many things can be improved on, I think we are doing ourselves a disservice if we only focus on social media's imperfections. We can miss out on the great benefits that they all may have to offer. Disclaimer, I do not own shares, John writes, of either Twitter or Facebook. These opinions are mine alone, LOL. Gratitude, she closes, is so important to stay positive. It is a gateway to being empathetic. I found myself a much happier person practicing everyday gratitude. From the moment I wake up, I'm thankful that I'm alive and given another day to do good. I thanked my bed for a restful night. I thanked the faucet that consistently gives me warm and clean water. This practice of giving thanks to little things may sound silly, but it is how I've trained my thoughts and built my PQ brain muscles. I hope that when I have to face challenges, I can remain positive, quickly take control of my mind, and turn crises into gifts and opportunities. So I thank you, David, for your wisdom an unwavering positivity. The world is a much better place with fools living in it. Wishing all of you, your families, and your motley fool friends a very happy and healthy holiday. Cheers to much more foolishness that we'll have together in the year ahead.
forever a fool. Jum. Well, in addition to the lovely, uplifting nature of that note, Jum, I particularly wanted to share it because I love your contrary take on social media. I do feel as if we're constantly taking social media companies, many of them anyway, through the ringer. The press does it over and over. The news cycles are constantly hammering on them. I certainly will acknowledge that a lot of wrong is done through social media or the internet writ large, completely apart from just social media. Powerful tools can be used for good or for ill, but I like to focus, like you, on the positives. And certainly Twitter, for me, has enriched most every day of 2021. I don't use Facebook at all, but I assume part of the reason a billion or so people do pretty actively is because they gain value from it. I certainly acknowledge I think Facebook would acknowledge the same, that it's made a lot of mistakes, Twitter too, and some of the others besides. But I am i guess I'm personally a little tired of all the harping on those. So I really appreciate you pointing out the good of it and how we can make good use of it, which you clearly have. So, Jum, Happy New Year to you too. Fool on. All right. Well, before we get to the final item, this episode of the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, you thought we didn't do ads anymore, didn't you? This episode of the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast is brought to you by a new book from one of our longtime listeners and members, Anthony. Anthony had this note for me. I I decided it didn't quite make the cut as one of the nine mailbag items because, I don't know, it might be just a little self-promotional. At the same time, it's great as an ad read over the air, and I'm happy to do this because it's so charmingly written. So from Anthony, who describes himself as AKA Hoodie Brown. Now, anybody who's a longtime listener may remember our Tinker Tailor Soldier Sailor Bestie award-winning podcast earlier this year in which we told the story of seven different listeners. And the very first one out of the gate was a jockey, somebody who'd lived a very colorful life doing many different things. That was Anthony, who's also a ballroom dance teacher. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a novelist. Hi, David. Just reaching out to all my friends far and wide and those especially Motley. Anthony writes, I'm super excited to announce that my book, Dead is Romantic, is now available on Amazon. Might I suggest my murder mystery paperback as the perfect holiday stocking stuffer or New Year's gift for yourself or for a loved one? Picture yourself next to a warm, crackling fire Dead is romantic in one hand, with a tumbler of some peaty spirit in the other. For that cozy evening read, Dead is romantic pairs perfectly with both reds and whites. Cold wintry morn, while Dead is romantic can get steamy with any AM brew. Dead is romantic may be the best all-around read until my next book. Anthony writes, and he does include a brief teaser giving us a little bit more about what Dead is Romantic is about. And I will, as part of this unpaid sponsorship, I will read that for the amusement and perhaps for the interest of a listening, possibly purchasing listener base. So I'm thinking this is kind of the dust jacket. Here's how it goes. After everything is lost, what's left is you. Years of hard work and dedication have paid off for Henry, in quotes, Huck, Finn, and his wife, Allie. Their, quotes, Finn Allie Designs is now recognized as a go-to architectural firm. Huck can at last claim they've achieved success and are at the top of the wave. Instead, Huck is about to see his life slam headfirst into a reality he never saw coming. He spent weeks secretly planning a ninth anniversary surprise 
but he's soon to discover she also has a secret. She doesn't want to be married to him anymore. Abandoned and dispossessed, his only lifeline comes from his best friend, Bear, who welcomes him into his home and hires him to work on a promising design project. It's there he meets her. She's the perfect rebound girl, beautiful, funny, and dead with no idea how she got that way. Huck can't help but fall in love with this woman and risk his life to solve her mystery. Who is she? How did she die? Why is there no record of her? Huck's her only chance to find her way back to who she was, and she may be the one who can help him find his way forward. And that's the end of a very rare ad on the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast these days. Anthony, we wish you the best with Dead is Romantic. I enjoyed sharing that fool on, my friend. Ah, those tunes vaguely reminiscent of the Rule Breaker Investing theme. Well, in particular, a little bit of a lighter touch on the broken glass. You know, the sound of rules being broken, as we've often said in explanation of the music that started the show from the start in July of 2015. But that happens to be a brief original recording, and that original piece of music comes from my next correspondent and the last mailbag item of 2021. Rule Breaker mailbag item number nine. This is from Eric DeVore. Hi, David. I'd love to share some thoughts about what you and The Fool have meant to me the past couple of years. A quick backstory about my short investing journey with The Fool. During a majority of the COVID pandemic, the entertainment industry and post-production in general shut down for roughly 15 months. And I didn't write a note of music for the better part of an entire year. It was the longest stretch of my career that I had gone with zero projects zero prospects, zero guidance, etc. Now, I should pause for a sec and say that Eric DeVore is a professional composer, a music man who's done a lot of work for film, trailers, and video games. And if you want to see his work at Eric with a K, DeVore with an E on the end, dot com, you can see his website and the work that he's done in the past, including that little lead-in he did for our show this week. So anyway, before I pick up the note again, wow, Eric, that's got to be tough when your life's calling all of a sudden results in no real prospects or possibilities or reason to do or to be for a prolonged period of time. Picking your note back up right there, the light at the end of the tunnel simply did not exist, period. I wasn't motivated to compose because there was nothing for which to compose. I can't remember if you saw this note on Twitter, but I stated that during COVID, I was drinking heavily, playing way too many video games, out of work, and just downright bored. But seemingly in an instant, the Fool.com site changed my life in one weekend. I hadn't had a drink that Friday, stayed up until 4 a.m., both Friday and Saturday night, reading articles, analysis, making spreadsheets, listing and organizing Best Buys Now from Stock Advisor, doing my own cross-referencing of articles and their disclosures, Etc. I put on hours of Frank Sinatra and sat on my laptop by candlelight and dove headfirst into research and analysis. I haven't enjoyed academic exploration that much since I analyzed John Williams's score for the Poseidon Adventure 1972 
for my senior thesis back in college. Well, fast forward a bit. After that initial weekend, I began reading Fool.com every day, and I started listening to the Fool podcasts on the side as a supplement when I got through all the main articles on the homepage. Industry focus has been my focus for about 12 months and is nothing short of wonderful. Motley Fool Money and Market Foolery are all around funny, informative, relevant, and relatable. And if I were to say Chris Hill is a brilliant host, that'd be the understatement of the year, Eric writes. While I didn't ever listen to answers, I found that most of the answers I'm looking for in my journey to smarter, happier, richer have come from your Rule Breaker Investing podcast. I was slow to adopt the show, but Listening over the past year, I've been absolutely blown away with your thematic content via your diverse set of topics in all aspects of life, and more importantly, how they correlate to our respective investing journeys. I try to listen to as many episodes as I can, but unfortunately, some fall through the cracks. A few months back, however, I stumbled upon authors in August, the meat and potatoes, well, When COVID began, I was fine for a time, but as the months lingered on, I began to develop depression and anxiety. Nothing serious, I don't believe, but I could tell they were both affecting my daily life. I also struggled with severe cases of jealousy. For some context, in my industry, egos and humble bragging are around every corner. My Instagram and Facebook feeds are loaded with, look at me and look at what I've done. The feeds are becoming virtual resumes. And let me tell you, if you're not working on the latest big budget film or Netflix show or high profile game, you feel like you're behind and a failure. It's harsh, but it's the truth. I saw these posts week after week, month after month, and the toxicity became real. My internal judgment of career comparisons was slowly destroying me inside. Realizing how detrimental this was, becoming to my mental health, I started to check social media less and less. And then, as fate would have it, you released Authors in August with Shirzad Shamin. Well, I was doing a nice 22-mile bike ride on a Sunday afternoon in October, and for almost all of it, I was listening to your conversation with Shirzad, and it just so happened that the podcast episode was ending around the same time as my ride, when you were finishing with a quote from the end of Shirzad's book. During your recital of the quote, every word of every sentence seemed to have more and more weight. And as you recited on, each pedal stroke that I took was getting harder and harder. Every sentence was hitting me like a ton of bricks, each more powerful than the last everything, and I mean everything, was relevant. And when you were finished with the last three words, I see you, there was a brief moment of silence. And in that moment, my world literally stopped, Eric writes. I felt absolutely overwhelmed with emotion. I pulled my bike over, fell to the ground, and broke into tears. I was exhausted from my ride, exhausted from my depression and anxiety, exhausted from my jealousy, and most of all, my stagnant career. Your delivery of that quote and how you ended that episode on positive intelligence impacted me more than you'll ever know, which brings me to the crooks of this email 
And that would be gratitude number nine, 2021. It's you, the chief rule breaker himself. Well, that's very, very kind, Eric. I know that you're writing on behalf of all fools as I read the next few sentences because uh, it is a huge team effort here. But I'm sure your inbox and Twitter gets flooded with gratitude often, Eric writes, and for good reason. But I wanted to let you all know that I sincerely appreciate everything you're doing for my investing journey, as well as my ability to grow as a smarter, happier, and richer human. And believe it or not, yes, composer as well. I hope you know how many people you all are touching, inspiring, and impacting with your generosity and wisdom. And while I can't write poetry, I can write music. Well, with all this, I wish you a wonderful holiday season. I sincerely hope to meet you one of these days at a foolish event to express my gratitude number nine in person. Oh, and punch you in the arm should you use the term long-term investing. Well, thank you again for that beautiful note, Eric, for your story and for this piece of music. Puts me in mind to just read the end of Shirzad's book one more time. It's a lovely thing to make some of the last words we express to you on this podcast in 2021. In the words of the author himself, here's how Shirzad ends Positive Intelligence. And I quote, I hope this book will help you fall more deeply in love with yourself to see the beauty of your own essence, of the being you were the moment you were born. You don't need to prove anything to anyone or perform for anyone, or get to the top of any mountain. Your essence is always there as your sage, unchanged, and waiting for you to see it, access its enormous powers, and allow it to shine. I also hope that you will choose to pause more often and fall in love with the amazing people all around you, in work and at home. I hope you will be able to see past their off-putting saboteurs. I hope you will choose to have your sage see their sages long enough for them to rise and shine through. That is what great leaders, great team players, great parents, great educators, and great life partners do. They enable us to rediscover and see our own best self, our sage, through their eyes. So from our sage To you and yours, Eric DeVore, and all of our correspondents this week, and all of our listeners in 2021, I see you. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com. 